with our Halloween event or a Halloween festival. All of you worked like dogs, all right? So the whole weekend was fantastic. So I want you to give yourselves a hand, all right? Give each other a hand for all the work. Seriously, you guys really done a great job Saturday, done a great job Sunday. It was a big job. Also, we have a couple other things to celebrate. Last week, several people got saved. Amen? Several people got saved. And and one of the ones we've been working on for a while, he's on the front row right here. Wave your hand, Chase. Wave your hand, Chase. Yeah. He's kept talking to him about getting saved. His family got saved. And he was just hanging on. No, no, no. Well, then last Sunday, he trusted Christ as Savior. So we're excited about that. Amen. And then a couple of uh, weeks ago, we uh, have a gal that's been coming to our church for sometime, maybe three months. And uh, anyway, Judy got to lead a Vela to the Lord. Raise your hand, Vela. Or stand up, stand up. All right. So we're excited about her getting saved. Right now, she's being discipled by Judy. So we're pumped about all of that. All right. All right. So we're going to jump into the book of Esther. Pretty excited about it. So uh, how many of you Love movies. You love movies, all right? So how many like drama and suspense movies? Raise your hands. How many like horror movies? All the teenagers, raise your hand, right? How about revenge and justice? How about chick flicks? Yeah, yeah I, I have to raise my hand. Jeff, thank you. Jason, he's raising his hand. Yeah, I'm glad because every night... Hallmark. One one show per night. All right. And the problem is I'm crying before she's crying. There's something wrong with that, isn't it? Actually, I just have a big heart. Amen. All right. So Esther has all of the all of those movies in it. And yet it's a real true story. All right. It has Lionheart. It has some gladiator matrix and a little notebook mixed into it. All right. So, I mean, this is a great series that we're getting into. So let's read verses 1 and 2, and then we'll lay the groundwork for this, all right? And if you don't have your Bibles, or you don't have your phones, or you don't want to flip that on, we're going to have all the verses up here as we go through the first chapter of Esther, and it begins like this. These events happened in the days of King Xerxes. Now, if I don't pronounce these names correctly, just say amen anyway, all right? Xerxes, I'm pretty sure I got that one right. That's the Greek name, his Hebrew name, and some of your translations might have Aharshura. And the reason we're not using that is I have a hard time pronouncing that one. So we're going to stick to Xerxes. Can everybody say Xerxes? Can everybody say, ready, here we go, Xerxes. All right, he's going to be throughout all of this. And uh, so it says, who reigned over 120 providence, stretching from India to Ethiopia. At the time of Xerxes' rule, his empire, from the royal throne of his fortress, Susan. And we're going to stop there. All right, so let's just lay a little bit of background. So everybody have your notes here. You can write some some stuff down if you would like to. Uh, Of course, the author, uh, they're talking uh, Esther. Most people think it's Esther. uh, But the scholars do not believe that Esther wrote this book. All right, matter of fact, they really don't know who wrote the book. But we know who wrote the book, amen? God divinely wrote this book. The Bible says all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable 
for us. All right, so God is the author. The date of this book is 483 to 473 B.C., which means this book is 2,500 years old, and yet it's just as applicable to us today as it was when it was written down. All right, the setting is ancient Persia, which today is Iran, which they ruled the world at this time. Now, some of the major characters as we, as we look at this uh, introduction is King Xerxes, and he was a very proud man. All right, some of you might think, is this the same Xerxes as the movie 300? And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you watch that, all right, because, you know, you, you just don't want to admit that in church. Can I hear an amen? All right, not, not, I mean, they, they don't have a lot of clothes, and of course, every man has a 20-pack, right? And, and that's what I heard. That's what I heard anyway. All right. So uh, also it's the um, Assassin's Creed, the game Assassin's Creed. How many know that game? All right. Same exact king. Uh, he was a, a, a very handsome man. History tells us. All right. He was he was tall, really one of the tallest men in the, in the kingdom of Persia. Uh, tall, dark and handsome. All right. Now. My wife sometimes, as we're watching movies, she said, do you think he's handsome? You know, I, I, there's not, I, I don't know of one man that I could say is handsome. Any of you dudes like that? You, there's just, I mean, oh, my son here, he walked in and said, man, you're a good looking kid. You know, that's because he's got muscles popping out his neck and his, his head, you know. But, but I mean, you know, just, but normally men just, is anybody like that? Just. The only thing, the only one I think is good looking is me. Is that the way you guys are? I mean, I think that's, that's proper. You know, dudes just, we just don't, ooh, he's good looking. I mean, no. So anyway, but he thought, I mean, he was so stuck on himself. When the, the, they were digging up some of the tombs, they found a, a, a inscription on his, his tomb. It said literally, King of King and Lord of Lords. Does that tell you anything? And how he thought of himself. And then Queen Vestai is, uh, is the, the wife of the king for just a short period of time. Don't pay no attention to her. She doesn't even make it out of chapter one. All right. She's just gone in a moment. Then, of course, we have Haman. He's the joker. He's the villain. Villain. Every story has to have a villain uh, or a villain. Uh, he's the prime minister, the right hand man to the king. One of the things we're going to find out about him is he hated the Jews. He wanted to annihilate them. All right. Then we have Mordecai. He was a Jew, which, um, uh, uh, was brought over to Persia um, under exile, but then when they all the slaves were released, he decided to stay. And uh, he's the cousin of the star of our story, and he literally ends up adopting Esther. All right, a tremendous story. And then of course we have Esther; she's a Jewish orphan. Uh, her parents died, and of course Mordecai adopted her. All right. So now, now look at the look at your notes here. The 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 providence of God is the theme woven throughout this book. The providence of God. Now, on your, on your notes there, we have the definition. Does everybody have their notes as we go through this? You're going to need your notes as we go through this. Everybody have one? If not, there's someone on that back table. Raise your hand. We'll get you a note, some notes, all right? Okay, did a good job. Providence, the, the definition of the providence of God is this. The protective care of God working behind the scenes of our lives. And we're going to see that especially today. The providence of God is working behind the scenes in every one of us, our lives, who that are children of God. He's working. 
All right. And as we look at this story, we see the fingerprint of God in this story. He's literally the director. God is the director. He's on the director chair and he is the one that's directing everybody to do the things that they are supposed to do. All right. We see the king playing his card and he decides, hey, I want to get rid of of Queen Vestai. And then Satan plays his card uh, through Haman to try to destroy the Jews. But God is the ace in the hole. All right. He, he always has the last word in the book of Esther. As we dig into this, that's exactly what we see from Scripture. You say, why do we study this book? Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you literally were wondering where was God? Anybody ever have a situation like that? Where in the world is God? Well, this book is going to remind us that God is there. Hebrews chapter 13 talks about he will never leave us nor forsake us. He's involved in our lives. He's working in our lives behind the scenes. So one of the key themes as we look at this is this. Whenever we cannot trace God, we can trust God. Even if you cannot trace God, you can trust God. Esther is a living, true story of one of our favorite verses in the Bible. Romans 8, 28. Okay? All things work together for good to them that love God and to them that are called according to his purpose. So how is that even possible? It's because we have a sovereign God working behind the scenes, putting our lives together. He is omnipotent. He is all-knowing. Our God, even when Satan is trying to destroy us, even when the world is trying to destroy us, God is behind the scenes moving and working. Now let me ask you a question. How many here this morning, you just want to make a royal mess of your lives? I want to make a royal mess of my finances. I want to make a royal mess of my marriage. I want my kids to grow up and be totally dysfunctional. (laughs) Anybody like that? No, none of us. What we have here in this first chapter is we have a king who literally is making a royal mess of his life. I mean, he literally is making a mess. And so what we want to do, you've heard that phrase, experience is the best teacher. I kind of struggle with that. I like, I like it when other people's experience is my teacher. Right? How many, how many would rather have that? I mean, sure, my experience is a great teacher, but I'd rather learn it from somebody else. Well, that's what we're doing today. We're going to see King Xerxes and his royal mess, and we're going to learn how to avoid doing those things right from this chapter. All right? And that's what we want to do. So let's look at uh, three ways. Number one, look at your notes there. It's right there. Avoid, we must avoid boastfulness. All right, put that in your notes there. If we're gonna, if we're gonna avoid making a royal mess of our lives, we have to avoid being boastful. Begin with verse three. It says this, in the third year reign, in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officers. And he invited all the military officers of Persia and Media, and well as the princes and the nobles of the province. They say there were 15,000 men that came to this party. 
Okay, 15,000 men. The celebration or the party lasted 120 or 180 days. Huh? How many, how many, how many have been to a wedding that lasted two days? Wedding party. One, three? Anybody three? Can I hear four? Can I hear five? There, okay, there's one person that's been to all of them, right? Okay, so, so literally, six-month party. You ever heard of that? That's what, that, that's exactly what scripture says. 180 days. It was a tremendous display of opulent wealth of his empire and the pompous splendor of his majesty. The guy was showing off. Everybody see that? I mean, the guy was just literally showing off his wealth and his empire. It says verse five. When it was all over, the king gave a banquet for all the people from the greatest to the least. So he, he, First, he had all the soldiers and all the men. Now he's going to invite every single person from all walks of life. Okay? And it lasted for seven days and was held in the courtyard of the palace garden. All right? So, so here, not only did it last six months, he decided, I'm going to go another seven days. And so he does. He, he adds another seven days of, the, of this party. Look at verse 5 and 6. Or look at verse 6. The courtyard, the courtyard was beautiful, decorated with white cotton curtains and blue hanging, hangings, which were fashioned with white linen cords and purple ribbon. Now, purple, purple was very elegant and very costly in these days. Silver rings embroidered uh, in marble pillars. Gold and silver couches. Hey, come over here and sit on my couch. It's made of gold my couch it's made of silver i mean it's crazy the wealth that this guy displayed and the pavement was marble uh, mother of pearl and costly stone all right again bragging now look at verse seven drinks were served in gold goblets okay literally there is no paper cups here can you imagine a gold goblet? And, and it goes on to say, it says not just a gold goblet, many designs, handmade, handcrafted golden goblets. These drinks were. Well, what were the drinks? They were a, an abundance of royal wine. Okay? No Trader Joe's here, baby. No Barnes food. Bar, what is it? Barnes? Help me out. Boone's Farm. Who, who got that? Amen. No, no Boone's Farm here. It was royal wine. Now, what's royal wine? Uh, well, as you see here, everything's costly. Everything is expensive. This is the best wine. Everybody follow me? There, there wasn't the cheap stuff. It was the best wine. Okay? Now, it reflected the king's generosity. Everybody see what's going on here? First, he's displaying for six months and seven days... All of the expensive couches, curtains, furniture, everything else. And now he's got the best wine to serve to everybody. I mean, he's not holding any cost. Well, that, he goes on, he says, And by uh, edict of the king, no limits were placed on drinking. <laughs> For the king had instructed the palace officers to serve each man as much as he wanted. This was an open bar. I mean, you ever had a wedding where there's an open bar? You just don't do that. 
right? It takes three days to find grandma if you do those kind of things. So you stay away from those kinds of things. Am I right? I mean, it was an old bar. You literally got to drink as much as you wanted. The best of the best of the best. All right? So that's what we find in these first three portions. Down to verse 9. All right? Now, let's go on to verse or verse 9. Look what it says. At the same time, Queen Vestai gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes. So, so not only were the men having a party, but we also see the women were having a party as well. So all the top dogs, men and women, for six months long were literally partying. He forgot one principle that the Bible talks about. Destruction comes before, or our pride cometh before the fall. He forgot that principle. So I want you to jot down these three thoughts, all right? First of all, let's go to uh, Proverbs 11.2. All right, Proverbs 11.2. Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. The word pride, or the word disgrace, pride leads to disgrace. The word disgrace means shame. All right, there's, and in your notes, it's, it's, it's the conflict inwardly is what I want to talk about. When you're focused on yourself and it's all about you and other people seeing how you dress and other people seeing how you, how you, uh, your home and how wonderful it is and, and all your money and it's all about you and your feelings and, and your importance and everybody else is wrong and of course you are what? Right. They're, I mean, they're, they're just incompetent beyond me. When, when you get to that point, it's everything's about you, your feelings, uh, you know, your thoughts and your ideas. There's a conflict inwardly. You listening? And there's this conflict because you know you're not right with God. And then there's an absence of peace. Because you know that's not how you're supposed to live. Jesus never lived that way. Now the king lived that way. And sometimes we live that way. But when we do, there is the lack of peace. Because our lives are supposed to be about others. And so when our lives become about us, there's this battle inwardly, this conflict. We always talk about me, myself, and I. I mean, It's just about me and my family. That's all that matters. Not according to Scripture. The Bible even says that we're supposed to love what? Our enemies. Do good them to, who despitefully use us. We don't preach on that very often, do we? Everybody still here? Amen? This is good stuff. All right? So there's this conflict. Well, what, we want to get away from this conflict. Why? Because when you have this conflict, there's no confidence. There's no positive that God's answering your prayer because you just hope that God hears you rather than I know that I can come boldly to the throne of God because He hears me. Why? Because I'm right with Him. And the Bible promises me that I have this promise that He literally bends over and He listens to every request of mine. But when I'm in sin, the Bible says, He doesn't. That our prayers are an abomination in His sight when it's all about us. Another. So, so the first thing, just there's this inward. Secondly, there's a conflict outward. Outwardly. Let's go to the next verse. Proverbs 28, verse 25. Greed causes fighting. Now, this is the NLT, but in other translations it says pride causes 
fighting. <laughs> Isn't it true that the people that are the most prideful have the least friends? <laughs> you know, because we're all about us. Friends like for other people to call them when they're hurting. Well, when other people are hurting, it's all about you. Do you pick up the phone? No, because it's about you. It's about me, myself, and I. And so when it's all about your feelings, when it's all about your thoughts, I mean, people, they can see that. They can see that you genuinely do not care. The only reason you care is because their friendship with you benefits you. That's where the king's at. And so we want to avoid that kind of thinking. That kind of living. Everybody with me here? Okay. That causes, there's a battle outwardly. And of course, if there's a battle outwardly, the Bible says, I mean, if you have a problem with your brother, yeah, you don't have much of this. All right. And then thirdly, there's a, there's a conflict upwardly. All right. Let's go to the next verse. Proverbs 16 here. Verse 18. And this is the verse, uh, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before for a fall. Well, where does the fall come from? Where does destruction come from? Listen very carefully. Two other times in the Bible, the Bible says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace and strength and love and honor to the humble. So when we're full of ourselves and we're not reaching out to other people and it's about us, then God opposes us and that's where the fall comes from. Yes, we are his children, and he's doing it, but he's doing it for a reason to humble us so that he can exalt us the proper way. The reason we're exalted is because of him and not ourselves. It's fantastic stuff. We don't want to exalt ourselves. We want to humble ourselves like our Lord and let the Father exalt us the way he wants to exalt us. And then when we're exalted, we are truly exalted. And only the way he wants to exalt us. I mean, this, this, this king had a problem in this area, and we don't want to do this. Here's the application for us. If we find ourselves full of ourselves, we need to go to God and literally say, I mean, if, if our world is about us, and we want to, we want to control our finances. We want to control our life. We want to control our marriage. We want to control our kids. And we want to control everything. And not even allowing God to have an input in our lives. That's where the fall comes from. And so we want to avoid this king's mistake of the pompous showing off that he was about. And exalt the Lord and not ourselves. And you guys are doing a fantastic job of all of that. But if we apply these truths, we will avoid making a royal mistake. All right? Our royal mess. Number two. Okay, number one, we must avoid boastfulness. Number two, we must avoid drunkenness. <laughs> Do we even need to preach on this? We need to avoid drunkenness. Look at verse 10 through 12. Now, this is, this is fantastic, guys. Okay, on the seventh day of the feast... When the king Xerxes was high, was in high spirits because of wine. What was it, guys? He was drunk. Everybody see that? Is it just my imagination? No, he, he was in high spirits because of the wine. The guy was drunk. 
And if I, was, if I could act like a good drunk, I would, but I'm just not. I'm not a good drunk. You say, huh? Yeah, I'm talking about when I was, before I met the Lord. Amen? You guys are just, where's he going on this? Okay, so, all right. He was high in spirits. He was drunk. Now, no, listen, no, no, keep going. And so when he was drunk, he told the seven eunuchs who attended him. Now, what's a eunuch? <clears throat> well, Google it. Google it, right? <laughs> now, notice these names here. This is, this is fantastic. Mehuman, Bista, Harbona, Bigtha, Abitha. That, that, look, at this, look at this last one, Carcass. We need to pray for this guy, okay? We need to pray for this guy. I mean, he's a eunuch and his name's Carcass. I mean, oh, that is terrible. That, 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 that's just bad, okay? To bring Queen Vestai. Okay, so these eunuchs were sent to bring the queen to him with the royal crown on her head. Okay. It goes, he wanted the nobles and all the other men, the 15,000 men there. He wanted them to gaze on her beauty. Why? So they exalt her? No, because look what I have. Everybody see this? I mean, this is an egotistical pride. I'm... This is the makings of a royal mess. All right, that's what's happening. So he wants them to gaze. Now, notice what he says. Now, I didn't get this from this, but as I was reading, uh, many of the commentaries believe that they just he just wanted her just to wear the crown. That's all I'll say, okay? Because they want to see the beauty. Now, look at verse 12. But when they, but when they conveyed the king's order to the queen Vesti, she refused to come. This made the king furious and he burned with anger. <laughs> so we have a drunken, arrogant, angry king. Everybody see that? <laughs> that's, that's the makings of a royal mess. And that's what we need to avoid. All right? So, so everybody's just wondering, well, well, preacher, where does the church stand on alcohol? What? Well, does it really matter? I mean, what really matters is what, where the Bible stands on alcohol. I got one. Let me do it again. It doesn't matter where the church stands on alcohol. What does the Bible say about alcohol? Amen. Perfect spot to say amen. All right. I'm glad you guys just jumped in there. That was good. All right. Okay. So where does the church stand on alcohol? Well, you know, I'm just going to hit this and we're going to go. Okay. Ding, ding. Okay, um, I have a uh, my my pastor, Pastor Glenn Evelyn, which he was a doctor, but he never would tell us until after he died. I found out he had a doctorate. He could take a book and just read it, like that night. He was one of my professors at school. He believed that Jesus on the on the uh, Canaanite wedding. He believed that Jesus made wine. My brother-in-law, which is a brilliant guy, believed that as well. And the Bible talks about drinking wine all through the Bible. All right, so so. The Bible definitely, here we're going to stand on this. The Bible definitely says drunkenness is a sin. Everybody hear that? Drunkenness is a sin. Now, Pastor Glenn Evelyn drank, and I have a lot of preacher friends today that drink, you know, and that's, that's, that's not my problem. That's, that's between them and, and the Lord. But the Bible definitely says and condemns drinking, at, drunkenness as a sin. Why does the Bible condemn drunkenness? 
Can't we just have a good time? Well, drunkenness, <laughs> as we see from Scripture, you do stupid things. Anybody, has anybody ever been drunk? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> you've been drunk and you've done stupid things. You said stupid things. You acted stupidly. Okay, I'm almost 60. Okay, almost. Close, but really far, all right? So there was, there was this guy that came to church. He comes to church, first started his church, he's drunk a couple of times, several times, all right? And he's like 24, 25. And he got mad at me because I was flirting with his girlfriend. His wife had two children. And finally I said, dude, she's almost to be my granddaughter. Get a clue. Then he finally backed off. But that's what happens when you get drunk. You say stupid things. I mean, I grew up with booze as our friend in our home until I got saved. I mean, it was part of our life. And I can't, I could stand up here for hours and hours and hours and tell you stories of stupid things that our family did. Why? Because it leads to bad decisions. You've never heard anybody say, well, how did you get your life together? Well, I got wasted one night and I woke up and everything was perfect. Everything just fell into place. It was, it was amazing. Have you ever heard that? No. I've heard hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times people saying, are, are you, how did your life fall apart? How did you lose your wife? How did you lose your family? How did you lose your career? How did you lose your job? And I've seen it in action. I drank too much. Over and over and over and over I've heard those testimonies. It doesn't matter what the, or where the, where the preacher stands or where the church stands. What matters is what the book says, and the book condemns drunkenness. And that's where this king was at. He was in high spirits after seven days. That means six months he was toast. I mean, he was toast. He was drinking the best wine, and he was toast. All right? So what we have here is avoid boastfulness, avoid drunkenness. Everybody okay? Okay, we're going to move on now. Everybody, everybody, everybody alert now? Oh yeah, you're wide awake, wide awake now, aren't you? Okay. Number three, avoid foolishness. Proverbs 14, 17 says this. Avoid foolishness. So we, we have three things that we're avoiding that the king was involved with. Okay. Look what it says. Short-tempered people do foolish things. <laughs> okay, so here we have he's really boastful. The guy's drunk and he's angry. Well, what happens? Short, not short people, short-tempered people do foolish things. All right? What did he do? Well, we're just, we're, we're going to find out here, all right? Uh, look what it says uh, on verse 12. But when they conveyed the king's order to the queen Vestai, she refused to come. And this made the king furious and burned with anger. So he immediately consulted with his wise advisors who had been drinking for six months constant. So isn't that smart to do? You're drunk. You look over your drunken buddies. Hey, buddy. You know, you, you look over your drunken buddies. You say, hey, what should I do in this situation? See, that's really smart, isn't it? That's what he did. 
who knew all the Persian laws and the customs, and he always and they always advised him. The name of these men were seven. Whoop, right down to the last part of that. And they met with the king regularly. And I, I tried to pronounce those. I just really struggled. And held the highest positions in the empire. Verse 15. What must... <laughs> this is the king talk. What must be done with king Vesh, Queen Veshti? The, queen de, the king demanded. What penalty... Now, as I'm reading this, just picture your household running like this. Men... Just picture this. What penalty must, what penalty does the law provide for the queen who refuses to obey the king's order? Properly sent through the eunuchs. Okay, so you've done things right. So Mimikin answered the king and the nobles. He said, Queen Vestai was wrong, has wronged not only the king, but every noble and citizens throughout the empire. So what the king did, he made this a national crisis. Everybody see this? It's, she, I mean, this one guy must have been a great politician, right? I mean, she refused and now it's, 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 a, it's a, a national crisis. And then notice what it says here. It says, uh, um, verse 17. Okay, so she done wrong not only to the nobles, the citizens, but to your entire empire. Verse 17. Women everywhere will begin to despise or disobey their husbands. <laughs> are you following this? Okay. Those men are very quiet. Every woman's going to be rebellious when they learn what the queen has refused to appear before the king. In other words, everyone's going to act like this woman. Okay? Everybody, because she's done wrong to everybody. Before the day is out, verse 18, before the day is out, the wives and all the king's nobles throughout Persia and Media will hear what the queen did and will start to treat their men in the same way. Did you catch that? I mean, it's not like they had Facebook. It says when the day is, by the time the the day's done, every woman's going to rebel against their husband. There will be no end to this contempt and anger. This guy is weird. All right? So if it pleases the king, this is where the, the stuff gets really deep. When it, if it pleases the king, we suggest that you issue a, a written decree of the law of the Persian and the Medes that throughout, uh, uh, that cannot be revoked, that it should, that it should order that the queen Vestai be forever vanquished from the presence of the king Xerxes. And she's probably jumping up and down. Yay! And that the king should choose another queen. Okay, now follow me. This is where the providence of God begins to surface. Okay, the king is totally, totally proud, uh, uh, arrogant, drunk, and angry. And God's going to use that and work behind the scenes to bring up this queen, Esther, and to save the Jews of the day. I mean, it's fantastic. Then verse 20. When the decree is public throughout the king's vast empire, husbands everywhere, <laughs> okay, follow. Husbands everywhere, whatever rank they are, will receive the proper respect from their wives. Men can't legislate love and respect. It doesn't work. 
Does it work, man? <laughs> it doesn't work. Let me ask you a question. How the king treated the queen to come out and parade around in front of 15,000 men just so he could show off, was that loving? Was that caring? Was that showing honor? Was that showing that she was the most valuable person in his life? It, it really showed she meant nothing. He just wanted to show off to all his posse and his buddies. However, on the other side of this, we, well, before we get to Ephesians, it says, verse 21, the kings and the nobles thought this made good sense. Well, of course they did. They were drunk. So he followed Mukin's counsel, Mukin's counsel, uh, and he sent letters to every part of the, the empire, each providence, their own script and their own language, and he proclaimed, now listen to this, and he proclaimed that every man should be ruler of his own home and should say whatever he pleases. <laughs> oh, so cool. It's such a lie, but it's cool. So, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, okay, says this. This is our takeaway from that portion of Scripture. Husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her. Okay, true love. Sounds like a movie, doesn't it? True, I'm not going to go True love, all right? How many, how many saw that movie? True love. Okay, I get that. I get that kind of focus. Okay. <clears throat> Let me <get> it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> True love. <laughs> Let me just get. True love. <laughs> I'll stop. <laughs> Have you ever seen that movie? Everybody know what I'm talking about? It's a funny movie, isn't it? All right is honoring your wife. <laughs> Quit laughing. Okay, you're looking at me like I'm weird. <laughs> okay. Is honoring your wife and valuing your wife. And and she is to be number one in your life. And and, and we go over this every, cha- every chance I get, I bring that into the painting, right? I bring that into the sermon. Why? Because it's so valuable. Our, our whole goal in this church is help people spiritually with their lives and then when they get saved to help them with their marriage amen and then help them with their finances because all of that has to do with their spiritual world that's our goal is that that you have this wonderful marriage where you put each other first and you're living for each other that i mean jesus christ gave his life he gave it up so that the church could live have life so we should give up our lives so that our wife will have life. And then guess what they're going to do? They're going to say, oh, that's just wrong. That's just wrong. I'm going to make you have life. And then you're living for each other that both of you can have an abundant life here in this world. All right. How can we make application? Pretty simple, isn't it? We need to avoid being proud, angry. Drunk, <laughs> all right, and foolish. I mean, even the king, if you go to chapter 2, and we'll get to there next week, you go to chapter 2, the king regrets 
He regrets the decision. Bottom line, we need to avoid that our world is about us. We need to avoid. Get involved in something bigger than yourself. Like real life. You guys are doing a fantastic job. I mean, you're involved in this church, and this church is reaching and touching other lives. So you're involved. Keep focused on this. And of course, avoid, bottom line, avoid pride, avoid drunkenness, and avoid foolish decisions, okay? Look to God before you make those decisions. Ask Him His advice and look to the Word to help you make decisions. He made a horrible, horrible decision. We need to avoid making a royal mess of our lives. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. We just are are so grateful for your word. Lord, I'm just grateful for this book, Esther. And even though sometimes it's difficult to, to read and get into, Father, I pray that you'd help us to be able to digest it, especially chapter two this next week to read it, study it, so that when we come, we're ready to hear from you. And Father, I pray for, maybe there's someone here that's struggling with pride. Maybe they're struggling with alcohol. Maybe they're struggling with foolishness. Father, I pray that you would help them this morning. Help them to make decisions, to include you in their life. Father, I also pray there might be somebody here that's never trusted you as their son, their Savior. They've never trusted what Jesus Christ did on the cross as the payment for their sin. Father, I pray that today might be their day of salvation. And Father, we'll give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray.